Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who has experienced a change or pivot in life. I call these changes redirections and at some point or another, we all go through them. And so I wanted to sit down with people who have made it through these changes really well in order to uh, learn something for myself and share what I learned with you. So uh, today we are continuing our Forbes 30 Under 30 series where we sit down with young people who are innovative and passionate and visionary, um, who have experienced these re redirections themselves, yes, but also uh, I like this series because it's with people who are redirecting the future and it's people who are creating things that weren't around before and people using technology like it's never been used before, creating technology that's never been around before. And so today we sit down with Devin Townsend who is the co-founder of an app called Cameo. And essentially what Cameo is is you can log on, find your favorite favorite celebrity, and essentially pay them to make a personalized video for you. And so you might be wondering, cool concept, but how big could something like that be? Well, Cameo has raised over $50 million, and Devin sits down with us and shares some really awesome wisdom and insight, telling us about how he went from being an influencer and traveling the world to working in the corporate world uh, for different organizations to ultimately co-founding this concept of Cameo that he wasn't sure was going to pan out at the beginning or not. Uh, and he talks to us about how ultimately the company grew and became what it is today. So I think you'll like this one. Devin was really fun. I enjoyed this conversation. I'm honored he took the time. Uh, we'll link his information as well as all about Cameo in the show notes down below. So be sure to check that out. And we're also going to be posting uh, to help launch this series a second interview in the Forbes 30 under 30 series uh, later this week. So be sure that you subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you prefer to, to listen to your podcast. And while you're there, leave us a rating if uh, you so choose. It helps us out. and We love hearing your feedback. So without further ado, we'll jump into this one with Devin Townsend. Devin a true pleasure to meet you. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with me today. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. How you doing? I'm good, man. I got a question for you. Which uh, historically has the better basketball team? Which school is it? Would you say Duke or Vanderbilt? I'm, <laughs> I'm... <laughs> uh, it's a good one. Yeah, I, went, I, went to, I went to Duke, so uh, of course. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, I always like to start off the show, if you wouldn't mind, kind of giving us uh, the context within which you grew up, maybe like what your parents did, uh, little kind of hints, breadcrumbs of how you got to do what you're doing right now. So I grew up in Connecticut, a uh, very boring town called Middletown, right in the middle of the state. I think it's called Middletown because it's the middle of Boston and New York. Um, hang on, let me mute my notification. Um, and my father was an engineer, so he worked on like controls in large buildings. My mom was a, or still is a dental hygienist. Um, and so overall, I just had like a super normal upbringing, you know, I, I uh, it was the most normal town, super diverse, um, played sports, wasn't that good at sports, wasn't super interested in school. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was mostly it. What sports did you play? I played soccer. Soccer was the big one. Um, I tried out for tennis in high school, but I got cut for behavioral <laughs> reasons. Really? Wow. Didn't yeah. get along with the coach or what? Yeah, the coach didn't like me apparently. Dang, man. But the, the soccer coach was cool with you? Yeah, I like so I mean, I played soccer since I was, since I was super little. So soccer was yeah. always my primary sport. That was fun. 
what what were your plans going into Duke? What what were you studying and for what purpose? So I never really intended to go to Duke or a school like Duke. My brother went to UConn. I, and in general, I kind of thought I was going to go to UConn. Um, did really well in the SAT. That kind of opened up some doors for me. And so I sort of looked at a bunch of different options. I visited Duke. I totally fell in love um, in the first first you know hour. Um, and then I, I applied early. I got in. It was, it was probably the craziest day of my life. Um, and when I got to Duke, originally, I, I didn't know what to major in. I liked every subject equally, probably. Um, and my parents recommended engineering because I have a family full of engineers. So they're like, if you don't know what you want to do, just be an engineer. It's a really safe, reasonable major. So I, I started in mechanical engineering. I did civil. Well, I started in mechanical too. I got I got relegated to uh, to civil engineering though because I realized mechanical was pretty difficult. But did you ended up with computer engineering? Yeah. So after my sophomore year, during my sophomore year, probably a similar path to you, I realized that mechanical engineering is really hard and I'm looking forward and I'm, I'm wondering what am I going to do with this degree? Like, am I going to work on cars? And I'm like, I'm probably just doing all of this work thermodynamics for no real reason. I'm probably not going to work in mechanical engineering. Yeah. So I started to look at what else is out there. I looked at econ and public policy and all the, all the popular majors at Duke and my best friend at the time, um, was a computer science major. And so I, I sort of checked it out. I did one of those Java learn to code classes and totally fell in love. Um, and so I took summer classes that summer in Connecticut so that I could catch up on that major and I could, I could graduate in time. And I switched to computer science and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Wow. But you still didn't have, like you weren't thinking you, you were going to found your own company or program your own app, anything like that? Not really. I mean, I just, when I look back, I just feel like my childhood was pretty sheltered. Like I didn't really have access to computer science. It's yeah. central Connecticut, right? So it's not like I grew up in the Valley. I've, I have some friends in, in tech and a lot of them, their parents worked at Intel and IBM and companies like that. I didn't really have much exposure to that. So I, I like, wasn't really thinking ahead. You know, I was kind of a typical kid where I was just trying to make it day to day, trying to skip class, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then at Duke, you know, my world kind of opened up, especially with computer science. What, what, I understand you're also like a, a Red Bull brand manager. Did that factor into to how your trajectory proceeded? Uh, so I was dating this girl in college and she was a Red Bull wings girl. So that she was part <laughs> of the girls that, that ride around the little mini and give away free Red Bull. Yeah. Um, so I got connected to Red Bull that way and they, they had an open position student brand manager. So I think at, at every university, at every major university, they have a student brand manager. And your job is to kind of activate the campus in terms of Red Bull. So do a lot of these brand stunts. Like we would, we would kind of tape a Red Bull to a statue's hand. Like a lot of these kind of pranky things to, uh, to further the brand. And that was a really cool experience because I think Red Bull is one of the most iconic brands of all time. So, you know, later on as, you know, creating Cameo and creating additional brands, I think Red Bull has been a phenomenal comp to be like, how should you treat your brand? How, how should you think about your brand's place in the world? Red Bull does such an amazing job with like different activations and how they incorporate their product. It is, it's so unique, I think in so many ways. Um, so yeah, yeah, one of the, one of the cool things about Red Bull is, uh, it's the, it's, it's their core competency, right? It's a marketing company, right? So yeah. they are world-class at creating and furthering their brand. Um, 
I kind of think about that, like Casper, the, the mattress company, I think it's kind of similar where it's a little bit of a commoditized market. And so they have to be world-class at marketing and brand in order to, in order to survive. Yeah. How'd you end up at Microsoft after you graduated? So I was computer science. So I, um, followed the traditional route where I explored banking and I explored consulting, um, checked out Google, Microsoft, Yahoo at the time. And Microsoft, I, I had an incredible experience with a lot of these companies, but Microsoft was just a magical sort of recruiting experience. The people that I met at on-campus recruiting were incredible. They flew me out to Redmond, Washington, and I saw their huge campus. They showed me Windows 8, which was the next version of their operating system, which just looked like I was looking into the future. Um, they just like really opened up their doors for me and it, it was, it was a really magical experience. So I threw my hat in. I remember I committed to Microsoft pretty early, like October. So the, the beginning of my senior year until mid October was just totally heads down, not going to any parties, focusing, studying, interviewing. Um, and then I got that and it's like a whole weight had been lifted and I just knew that for the rest of senior year, all I had to do was pass and I was good to go. Um, so you worked there for, I don't know, two or three years and then your big pivot happened around 2014 when you decided to travel the world. Yeah. So when I was at Microsoft, I really enjoyed Microsoft. I had a lot of fun. I mean, I was on the windows user experience team. So I, I worked on what's what they call Ubi, the out of box experience. So I was responsible at first for the initial flow. When you set up your computer, you turn it on, you give it a name, you connect to Wi-Fi, that whole flow. Um, and then also I worked on the logon screen, the lock screen. I worked on something called Windows Hello, which is pretty similar to the, the iPhone unlock your phone with your face thing, except, you know, unlock your computer with your face. So the stuff that I worked on was super fun. I had a blast there. But my friend, uh, Cody Kalajezic, was working as a software engineer in Silicon Valley. And we both had read this blog about this guy who quit his job and traveled for a year and thought it was the coolest thing ever. Just like thought we were like, we have to do that at some point. And then after a few years at Microsoft, he and I kind of both reached a point, which just kind of felt like a good stopping point at our at our jobs. And um, so we decided we're going to take a year. We're going to travel the world. We're going to maybe code and ship some apps and websites to, to support ourselves. Um, and so we did. I, I, I left and we uh, we traveled all over Southeast Asia, all over you know Japan, South Korea, Hong Kong, um, and then six months in Australia. And we did two things. <clears throat> One is we made these little apps and websites, which was really fun. And ultimately it ended up generating enough money so that we could sort of support ourselves, which was nice. Didn't really have to dig into savings. And we also made Vine accounts, you know, the Vine short looping video app. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we made Vine accounts and they blew up. You know, we, we grew it to, uh, I think my account had a, around half a million followers. And so we were making these videos and Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam and all across the world. And a lot of them were going super viral. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that was like a little bit of experience that, that led up to cameo, um, you know, as we created tools for creators. Just on a, out of personal curiosity, what, what were two highlight experiences from your travels? Definitely cliff jumping in Australia. There's actually a town called Yamba in Australia. Um, it's a little surf town and we stayed at this, this hostel there. And it's just the people that have worked at the hostel have been there for 20 years and they all know each other and they all know the the people who are staying there cause they stay there for months and they kind of work on farms to support themselves. Um, 
and so that was just a really cool community to be a part of, you know, like we were, we were sort of learning how to surf. Um, and so to go there and surf every day and learn from some of the best surfers in Australia was just like a super incredible experience. Yam is a place that I definitely want to go back to. Hmm. I think also, um, we, we were traveling, we were backpacking. So we were going all over, I kind of mentioned like Japan and Laos and Cambodia and all these places. And it was, it was kind of like every couple of days, check out of the hostel, put everything in your backpack, move to the next hostel. It was just go, go, go. And then we rented a villa in Bali for a month. And so that was where we, we rented some mopeds. We got pulled over like 80 times. You have to get an international driver's license. It's a little bit of a scam. Um, and we surfed every day. We rented surfboards for the entire month. And so that was cool because A, I had a home. And so I got to know the neighborhood a little bit and got to explore Bali a little bit. Um, but also it's just like such an incredible place. Like we got, you know, we were coding all the time. We were building stuff. We were surfing. We were, we visited this Island called Gili T, which is off the coast of Bali. And it's just magical. So th that was like definitely a highlight of the trip. My wife, uh, visited Bali for a month by herself and said it was the coolest place she had ever traveled. So, uh, I'm going to need to convince yeah. her to, to return. Um, yeah, if, if, if only it was easier to get to. I mean, one of the things, <laughs> it's, it's always kind of been a dream of our engineering team to have some kind of offsite for two weeks or a month in Bali. Um, but yeah, the time zone's pretty, pretty tough. So you mentioned that you're, you creating these Vine accounts were kind of a uh, really integral part to Cameo. Can you talk to us about how those two are connected? Yeah, so I remember we made these Vine accounts. They, they got really popular. And so, especially while we were traveling, we were kind of trying to figure out what could we do with this? Um, you know, and I remember we tried, we saw a lot of influencers on Instagram, um, getting free hotels, free stays. We tried that, we called some hotels. Uh, I remember in, in Thailand and they're like, we don't have a marketing budget. <laughs> like we don't do this kind of stuff. So we were like, okay, fine. Um, and then when we started Cameo, the original vision for Cameo was a marketplace for athletes where you could have X activity with Y athlete, athlete for Z amount of money. Um, and we started looking at all of the different experiences we could enable. And one of the things we looked at was this asynchronous video message. And from Vine, you know, I, like I had this cohort of fans that would DM me, DM me on Instagram and Twitter and they would say, hey, you should have a meetup. You should do this thing. My sister loves you, would love to meet you. You should, my, you know, can you send, send, can you make a video saying, hi, Haley, happy birthday and for my sister. She's the biggest fan in the world. So when we were exploring this, I was like, I would totally use this. If, if, if this existed while I was traveling, I could have, you know, at the time we thought $5 was a really good price. And so we were like, well, we could have done 20 a day at $5 a pop, could have earned $100 a day and could have supported ourselves indefinitely while we were traveling, which would have been the coolest thing ever. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's always been like that experience as a creator and the following that I've gained mostly through Vine has been super helpful and figuring out what to build and, and guiding that process. And you've, you co-founded Cameo in 2015? 2000. So we originally, we got started in 2016. So my co-founder, Steven Galanis, um, this is not the first startup idea that he had called me about. So um, he had called me before and we kind of explored another one, which was a little bit similar to LinkedIn. And he called me and like I said, the original vision was a marketplace for athletes who were you know, you could do any activity with any athlete for some amount of money. And I was working after traveling, I worked at a startup in LA where basically I, I kind of had my dream job at the time, which was coding 18 hours a day, building an entire product off the ground, 
I got to name my salary. Um, but that company never really had product market fit. So I was gaining the skills that I really wanted from an engineering point of view. Um, but then I kind of felt like I got my legs underneath me. I felt like I learned what I, what I sort of came to learn. And that company was kind of horizontal. <laughs> um, and so I was looking for my next thing. I was working on some side projects. I was doing a little bit of consulting and, you know, Stephen called me. And so it was definitely the right time in terms of what I had going on in my life. But like I said, it wasn't really an idea that I was super passionate about. I've never been super into sports and also knowing how hard it is to build stuff. Um, it just felt a little vague. Like it felt like we're trying to boil the ocean. It felt like, you know, do any activity with any athlete for some amount of money. It felt like that's like impossible to build almost. Um, and so I was a little bit tentative at first. Um, but then we started listing out what are all of the things we could enable? Like what if you could pay Shaquille O'Neal to tweet at you? What if you could pay to get an email response from an athlete icon that you look up to? What if you could video chat with some athlete? And, um, and you know, we, we, we talked about the asynchronous video message and I was like, this, I would use this, you know, like if this was, if this existed while I was traveling, I would totally use this product. And so we built a pretty simple MVP and, um, and went from there. What exactly does asynchronous video mean? Explain that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So synchronous is like we're having now, right? We're having a synchronous conversation. It's live. Asynchronous is um, where you send something and then sometime later you get a response. So like email is asynchronous. Chat is often live. Um, and so in this case, the way that Cameo works, the asynchronous video product, you book somebody. So you say, hey, my friend Andrew is a huge fan of yours. Can you tell him his podcast rules? And the talent on the platform have four days to respond. So it's not really a live experience. So they, they can do it on their own time, right? You can book somebody at 11 p.m. on a Friday night and the talent can be out partying and then they can get to it the next morning. Hmm. Um, so yeah. How long did the, did the process take for you to actually, you know, take this ambiguous idea and it really kind of take this concrete form. It took, so we, <clears throat> we got started around October of 2016. Um, it was pretty quick. So I, we explored, it's kind of funny. So originally we explored, uh, selling. I remember we sold socks. So we started with, uh, Cassius Marsh. He was a defenseman on the Seahawks one of our first investors because my third founder co-founder Martin was an NFL agent at the time. And so a lot of his motivation was how do I get cash paid? Um, and so originally we, we tested a couple of different things. We explored the, you know, book somebody to come to something. So like if you wanted Shaquille O'Neal or Kobe or somebody to come to your birthday party, we explored that a little bit, like started fleshing out, what it would take, we would need to kind of store the coordinates of where everybody lives. And so we can like logistically connect that, um, which never really got super far. And so it probably was about a month from when we started actually talking about this, looking at this until we had a pretty firm idea of where we were going. Not that it was like ready for prime time, but that we had kind of fleshed out in, you know, conceptually, but also in code. Um, what this flow would look like, how you could, how we could kind of procure these videos from the uh, athletes on our platform. First of all, from a personal note, 
you know, my wife was a gymnast and gets these requests all the time. It used to be letters that were written to her like, Hey, can you send, send me back a signed picture or whatever? Anyway, yeah. it, it, there is such a uh, hole in the marketplace and place for this product. So uh, kudos to you for, for actually finding it. I'm curious. So I feel like uh, I've seen cameo pretty like well advertised or discussed among influencers or celebrities for a couple of years now. But what was the, what was the, the turning point as far as growth? And how did that happen? So there were a couple of things. So, you know, at first we didn't know what this thing was. We didn't know if it was a good idea. Steven was still working at LinkedIn, hadn't quit his job yet. And so when we first launched, I remember Cassius Marsh was standing in my living room um, and he tweeted out that he was on this new platform and didn't get a much much of a response at all. There was like some negative response of like, wow, you sold out, man, this is pathetic. And then we thought he had, he had around 50,000, 55,000 followers. We thought that he was going to drive a ton of people to the website and he didn't. We were looking at Google analytics. We saw that there was a dot in LA. So that was me. There was a dot in Arizona. So that was Steven. He was at spring training <laughs> trying, to recruit, trying to recruit baseball players. And then there was one dot in Renton, Washington, uh, just outside of Seattle. And we were like, okay, cool. This is our first customer. And we're, we're just like watching Google analytics. And then after two minutes, the doc goes away and we were like, shit, this sucks. Like we, our, our launch just failed. Um, and then we got an email from that guy and he said, I tried to book a video on your website. My daughter is the biggest Cassius Marsh fan in the world. A video from him would totally make her life, but it said payment error, you know, it, it failed. And so we were like, okay, cool. And so in my living room, we had cash, which is recorded video. We emailed him the video and he recorded his daughter's reaction. So he, he hands her the phone and she watches the video and she's pretty immediately crying and like smiling and laughing. And it was the most emotional video I'd ever seen. Um, and so that was, that was really encouraging sort of feedback initially of, okay, we might have something. And then I remember Cody, my friend that I went traveling with, who's now a full-time content creator. Um, we were driving, it was like a five hour road trip. We were driving to go skiing. And I, I, I DM'd a bunch of people who had DM'd me stuff like my sister's a huge fan of yours. You should do a meetup, like these kinds of things. And I was like, I coded this website. I would love your feedback. And on the website, you could book me for, I think $3. You could book Cody for $3 or $5. And we got booked around 20 times. And so I remember we were in the ski house and recording these videos and, we, and just it clicking and being like, this is as fun as fine. You know, this is a really creative experience. I can take it any direction I want. If I want to make it five seconds, if I want to make it 60 seconds or two minutes, whatever, I, like it, it just felt like a really creative tool and it felt really fun. And then we posted them and our fans posted them to Twitter. They were tagging each other in Twitter. They were kind of freaking out. Like we just saw the internet light up a little bit. And so that was really cool end to end of like, this makes people really happy and it's really fun and you get paid. Um, this might be something cool. And so this was kind of around the time that we went all in on this idea. And then it's been, when you zoom out, it's been fairly consistent growth, even though month to month, day to day, it feels like you're either on top of the world or the world is collapsing. Um, I remember pretty early on, we would often get talent that would say, I'm too famous for your platform. I would break Cameo if I joined. And we reached out to this guy named Ronnie Radke, who's a musician. And we found him actually because 
we went on famous birthdays and Steve and my co-founder, they both share the same birthday, December 15th. And so we reached out to Ronnie. He was like, he was like, I'm going to be huge. And we were like, okay, yeah, everybody says that. Let's like, yeah, sure. And then he, he came on, I think he was $25 to book him. And he got booked like 200 times in one night. Um, so we were just like looking at the logs from the servers and it was just like booking, 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 and it was all him. Um, and so that was the time that we were like, holy shit, is he going to be able to fit? Like, is he going to be able to make 200 videos in four days? Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of the point that it was pretty clear that we had pretty, pretty strong product market fit. And at this point now you've raised how many millions of dollars? for cameo we've raised i don't know the exact number a little more than 50. was there a uh a, a from you personally like someone who joined cameo and you're like oh my gosh i can't believe that they're using my product it more happens like every week so like <laughs> steve, so like steve steve harvey joined last week and I definitely, I definitely have that feeling from time to time. I think it's pretty motivating for the team where you're building something. If you ship a bug or if you ship something incredible, like these people who you look up to, like they're using the product that you're building. So you're either going to make their day or you're going to make them throw their phone in the ground. Um, the choice is yours. So it's, it's really motivating having the incredible, you know, network of talent that we have on our platform. And like, that's who we're building it for. One of our values is roll out the red carpet. And the whole point is to spend time and money and energy lifting up and providing an 11 out of 10 experience to to not only the talent on our platform, but, you know, the, the fans on the other side of the marketplace, as well as the people we work with. Hmm. Yeah, I, I have been impressed with uh, c communication from your team. Um, I think I've had several different people DM me or my wife from Cameo, and it's just like, the, the amount of outreach and how personalized it is, is really, really impressive. So, uh, well done there. I'm curious, how do you encourage talent to set their price? You know, like this, this one, Ronnie Radcliffe gets booked 200 times at 25 bucks an hour. Do you give him like a, like a threshold price of, Hey, if you want to do, how do you do that? Yeah. So our, our playbook historically has just been start low, right? So like, at this point we have comps. So like, we know, like if you're a gymnast and you have, you know, this kind of an engaged following, then like this other gymnast is this much, you know, that's maybe a decent comp. Um, but in general, err on the side of starting low, getting a good feel of the product and then raising your price as time goes on so that you don't get booked 200 times in one day and you're not having to spend all day, every day making cameo if you don't want to. Um, and so generally talent, if they really want to do a lot of cameos, they'll keep their price a little lower. And if they want to do, five a week, they'll raise their price a little bit higher um, to manage that demand. And we also have, we have pretty good pricing tools. So like, like you said, we have a team that works with our talent. And so if you reach out to that team, they'll show you, okay, when you were $20, you made a hundred dollars a day or, you know, something like that. You made a thousand dollars a day. You raise your price to 30 and you actually, instead of making a thousand dollars a day, you made $700 a day. So you actually made less money because you were getting booked less. So we kind of have those tools too. And I think over time we'll add dynamic pricing where as talent, you don't even have to set your price. You just come on Cameo and you, you tell us the things that you know. So like you, you tell us how much time you want to spend. And then we, we work those levers um, mm. to, to kind of give you the optimized price. 
You don't have to name a name, but do you know who's been booked at the highest price? Not set the highest price per per video, but like actually converted one. Yeah, so we have we have two different types of offerings. We have the consumer cameo, which I, I think Caitlyn Jenner is the highest price person. I think Caitlyn Jenner is twenty five hundred dollars. Uh, and she gets booked at that price. Um, but we also have business cameos. So if you wanted to do, um, like a, like a cameo for your podcast, like to promote your podcast, then there's a different price. And so there's some talent that are around 10,000, $20,000 for those. Um, so yeah, that's, that's around the, the limit. Is it plausible to, to do this as a full-time career if your talent? Yeah, yeah, we actually have um, a bunch of talent doing this full time. Wow. It's it's one of the things that's cool is there's a lot of diversity on the platform, right? There's athletes, there's actors, there's Hall of Famers, there's retired anything, um, and so some talent on the platform they it's a huge part of their life. Like some of them pay rent with it. Um, they spend hours and hours every day making cameos, and they love it. And some it's you know they they come on, they make themselves available every couple of weeks. They do a few cameos, they raise money for charity. Um, so it's really diverse the way that people, people use the platform. Hmm. Who are your biggest competitors? So we're generally in the creator monetization space. And so I think at scale, our biggest competitors are really anybody that allows you to a connect with your audience and b. um, monetize your audience. So platforms like Twitch, Patreon are probably the companies that are even only fans to some extent are companies that are, are in our space, but there's not that much overlap. Like, mm. like none of these platforms are exclusive. So if you want, you can join Patreon and Cameo and OnlyFans, and there's not too, too much overlap. Like, I don't think there's 20% overlap on any of these platforms with Cameo. Yeah. And what do you love most about what you've built? What do I love about it? Yeah. Um, for me, it's just cool because it's it's the intersection of the things that I like doing. I like creating stuff, right? So I like making vines. I like making YouTube videos, um, and I like creating apps and websites and software. And so this is cool because it's a mix of both. You know, at first I'm literally making the product that I want to use as a creator with my fans, um, and so it's it's technical it's creative, it's business, it's, it's media. Um, and so it's, it's just a perfect intersection of everything that I give a shit about. Um, so it's fun, you know, like Steven and I have talked about, we always get this question of like, what, what's the end game? Like, would you sell? Do you want to sell? Is that the goal? And our goal is to IPO to become a public company, just because this is by far the most fun job that we could ever imagine doing. You know, a, a lot of founders who sell their companies, go on and start similar companies. And often, usually those companies are not, especially if you have the kind of lightning in a bottle situation that we do, the second and third company, they're not gonna be as big of a hit as the first one. And so we kind of are just trying to hang on to the rocket ship and, and ride this one through. That's really interesting. I've never heard a founder describe what their post first successful company looks like, but you're, you're right, it's probably gonna be in a similar space and it's probably not going to be, you know, a home run like the the first one probably was. But yeah, uh, if, if we sold the company today, then tomorrow we would probably start another company, and 
it would definitely be in the same space. Like this is mm-hmm. the most exciting fun space, especially for me to work in. So it's like, why sell this company and then try to recreate it when we already have it? You don't see yourself being an influencer again? I, mean, I would love are, to. But... So, yeah, I mean, I would love to do more of that, right? So I, I've kind of always gotten that question, especially from my fans of like, why did you choose, you know, tech and business over YouTube and content? Um, and I really like creating content. I'd like to spend more time doing that. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm doing at Cameo is firing myself from all the jobs that I'm doing as head of engineering, as head of design, as head of product. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to spend more time, A, working on brand for Cameo, but also creating more content and just generally, you know, having a little more time to, to work on stuff that I'm really passionate about. You're firing yourself. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like starting a company. That's kind of the name of the game, right? So, you know, when we started, it was just Martin and Steven and Devin and, um, we've grown the company to a little under 200 people now. And so at first Steven is doing payroll and he's doing, you know, like we're all doing everything. We're wearing all of the hats and, you know, over time, it's the name of the game is find world-class leaders that are smarter than you to fill engineering and payroll and HR and, and all these, all these marketing, all these different disciplines. How do you feel like you've learned going from an influencer, computer engineer to being the co-founder of a company with over 200 people, like how long was the learning process for you to be able to, I don't know where you are in the management, uh, you know, charts there, <laughs> but was that a difficult process for you to pick up on? Managing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, my team is around a little on, probably around 90, 80 people now. Um, and so it's definitely tough, you know, like, and I, it's, it's just something that happens at startups, right? If you join as an early employee at a startup, fast forward two years, you might be running a team of 30 people, 50 people. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit of the name of the game is how do you hang on to the rocket ship? How do you scale with the, the company? Some people can't, and that's like, as a leader, that's something that's important to recognize that like some people were successful in their role and then their role grew and they're no longer successful. And so you need to support them. You need to find them a role where they can mm-hmm. be successful. Um, and so it's definitely been a roller coaster. You know, I've definitely made mistakes as a manager. Um, but it's definitely, it's the fastest way to learn. You know, it's, it's been, it's been so fun. Yeah. All right. I want to know who you look up to or maybe like who your role models are one in the influencer space. You mentioned like you, you were in that world for a while and then two in like the business space. Influencer space. So this is, this is probably super lame. Um, but probably, so my friend that I travel with Cody, he's an yeah. influencer. And I think the way that he's doing it is the way that I would do it. If I had gone that route, if I could, right. If I had the talent that he had, let's say assuming. So I think like what he's done with his podcast, what he's done, he's, he's toured as a comedian. He's sold out theaters. Um, he's, on he's he has a group on spot like a music group on spotify so in terms of like really nailing it at all of these diverse channels i think he's just been he's just done it incredible and so that's probably who i would who i would choose on the creator side on the business side 
This also feels somewhat lame, but I would have to say Naval Revikant. He's the he's the founder of AngelList, which is kind of a, a marketplace for startups to find employees. Um, but I think he's just super well-rounded, right? Like he he has the right principles um, to build long-term value in business. So I, I think his Twitter account, and his podcast have been have been pretty helpful for me. Interesting. What are the three most important lessons that you feel like you've either learned or learned or been told over your career? Three. So one of them, one of them, one of the things that I found is that generally the book is true. Like if you do things by the book, they work like in terms of, in terms of growing a company, in terms of product market fit, adding value, um, all that kind of stuff. It's been really cool to, start this company, which we didn't think was going to be a success at all. And we've just always done things by the book of, okay, like let's incorporate in the right way. Let's, you know, issue equity, let's get an office, let's hire the right people, you know, hire fast, (coughs) fire or hire slow, fire fast, like all these little, um, aphorisms. So that's been one really interesting thing. Can I, can Um, I interrupt real quick? Cause it's interesting. You mentioned, you weren't super into school. It seems like you kind of have that classic Silicon Valley founder vibe of like, uh, I'm a little rebellious and I, I go against the grain a little bit. So it's interesting you say that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's kind of funny cause somebody, I was interviewing somebody the other day and they were like, what made you start a company? And I remember at the time it was kind of a no brainer. So I think that element of just like following things that you're passionate about mm. is huge. But yeah, I mean, this is kind of back to your, your, your question around what it's like to scale to 200 people. You're not going to be able to hang on unless you sort of stand on the shoulders of giants and unless you read vociferously and have mentors and just generally learn from people who have made millions of mistakes before you. Cause if, if you have to learn from only your own mistakes, you're just going to make too many mistakes. You're not going to grow fast enough. So that's where I think it really comes in handy to, to by default use, you know, follow the book. Right. But, like you obviously need to innovate in some way, but, um, in general, you should innovate on your product and everything else do, do it by the book. Like don't mm. have like a totally flat hierarchy where there's no CEO or anything like that, because, um, it's just going to be too much and it's going to be hard to keep up. Interesting. Okay. I cut you off. What's number two. Number two, number two that I've been thinking about a little bit lately is you can really only be world-class if you are super passionate about something, it's kind of an excuse to work on the stuff that you care about. Um, there's a lot of work and I've definitely done a lot of work and valuable work that I've not enjoyed, but at scale, I think, you know, you're not going to be the best engineer if you don't really love engineering, same with marketing, same with sales, same with anything else. So I think it's a really good excuse to be able to focus on the stuff that you're passionate about, that you care about. Um, because otherwise you're not really going to be able to compete with the person, at this other company who is passionate about this and who, and who thinks about it in the sleep and thinks about it in the shower. And, um, it's just going to be giving everything they have to it. Just enjoy it more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three, three, this is, this is probably a bit cliche, but the people like people is everything. The people that you work with, the people you spend your time around, um, like literally we had, we had an offsite <clears throat> a couple weeks ago and for the executive team, we, we 
did this exercise where we told our entire life stories, which was really cool. And at the end of it, you sort of say like, where are you going? Like, what's, what's your ultimate goal? And for me, I think it's very clear that it's number one is having really good relationships. Like the relationships that I have with, especially my friends from college are just incredible. Like the reason why I'm happy day to day, the reason why my life is incredible is mostly due to the relationships that I have. And I think it extends to business where it is so much work to build a great team, to build a team that you want to spend time around to build a world-class team. Uh, it's way more work than I expected, um, but it's everything, right? Like if you don't have the right team, if you don't have a team that you want to spend time around, if you don't have a world-class team, like you're not going to, you're not going to win at all. Um, and so people is just like 90% of everything, which has mm. been, which has been pretty, pretty fun to, to learn. You mentioned learning from books and standing on the shoulders of giants. Do you have any book recommendations for me? So this book is, um, it's definitely not for everyone. It was really helpful for me, kind of getting back to your question around what it's like to scale from three to 200 people and how, how oftentimes painful that is. I, I read this book, I actually listened to the audio book. It's called Guide to the Good Life, I think. Hmm. Um, it's about stoicism. And so it's like between stoicism and meditation and a lot of this other mindfulness stuff, it's been really helpful to, uh, to kind of not lose the forest for the trees. And, you know, like, cause at a startup, it's like every day is either the best day ever or the worst day ever. And so to, to keep your neutral, it's been something that I think the founders of Cameo have done a really good job um, and it's essential. Otherwise you're just going to go crazy. So that, that book has been really helpful and kind of like helping me maintain my center. Interesting. Devin, you have some good wisdom, man. And obviously you've built something really special. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you and I appreciate you giving us the time. I, if there's ever anything we could do for you, uh, let us know. Although it seems like you're doing okay. Okay. Without our help, but, uh, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Andrew. This has been fun.